Well, good morning, everybody. Um, I, my wife and I moved up here 20 years ago um, to be a part of planting this church. We were part of the team that, that planted this church 20 years ago. Um, and so last, the, this last summer marks the 20-year anniversary of our moving year. There's a lot of 20s, uh, the 20th anniversary of the church, all those kind of things happened. Our 20th, our 20th anniversary uh, was last December. It was like all these big kind of 20-year milestones um, right around the same time. But one of the things that was a big adjustment for us moving to Spokane was adjusting to all four seasons. We get all four seasons gloriously in, in Spokane. We've get, we, it's, I've never lived anywhere where you truly get all four seasons the way we do here in Spokane. And I've mentioned before that one of the things that people love to do when they found out we moved from Phoenix was they love to terrify us about the winter. They're like, have you been here for a winter yet? No, this is our first winter. They're like, oh boy, you know, <laughs> laughing deviously and like, you're, you're, you know, you're really in for it. Um, and, and I remember uh, having to adjust to the winter. You know, it's like having to learn how to drive in the snow. This was a new experience um, for me. And I've decided I, I like winter tires. I, you know, not everyone does them, but I really like them. It makes a big difference in how I experience the winter. But uh, the winter was a big adjustment, and we had a couple of huge uh, winter, you know, snow years. I think maybe six years ago, we had like the snowiest winter on record in Spokane. Might be, might be more like eight years ago now. Um, we had the third snowiest, and then followed by the, the snowiest of all time, where we had like, I think we had 24 inches of snow in 24 hours, one of those winters, and it was, it was pretty intense. Like we were on national news that year. But I remember um, realizing that I, I sort of resented the weather sometimes. I'm fine with it up until, uh, you know, the end of December. I'm like, and then the winter could stop right then. I want the, you know, nice, beautiful white Christmas kind of thing. And then, then after that, I was kind of looking at the winter with um, not anxiety, but just kind of like, okay, I think I'm done with the snow. I don't want any more snow, you know, no more snow. I don't have to shovel my sidewalk anymore. I don't have to do any of that kind of stuff. And I realized that oh, one way to look forward to the winter a little bit more is to pick up a winter sport activity. It's a big deal here in the Northwest. A lot of skiers, a lot of snowboarders. Um, and I had never done this before. And I was like, I want to get into this. And I don't know how to start. But my nephews were going up to Mount Spokane. They had, they had learned, they'd picked up snowboarding. And so I decided, well, I'm going to do that too. And so at the ripe old age of 35 years old, um, I decided that I was going to learn how to snowboard. Like, that's what you do, 35, you know, it's time to learn. Uh, better, better now than never, I guess. Um, and so I went up to Mount Spokane, the ski resort up there, and I, I entered a foreign land. Like, as a 35-year-old, you know, I've got my, my snow pants on. I look like I belong there. You know what? People assume you know what you're doing when you walk into a ski resort and you're 35 and dressed for the winter weather, but I did not. And, and it's a, it is a, like a, it's a foreign place. Like to, there, there's a whole culture up there. You know, there's the people that just spend all winter up there. There's the instructors. There's this whole ecosystem almost of, of the world up there in the, at the resort. And as a 35 year old, I just was, I'm like, I don't know the terms for things. I don't know what you're supposed to do with your snowboard when you take it off. I don't know how to snowboard. That was a big one. So, so I signed up in, with a class with a bunch of little kids. It was like little kids, I'm 35 years old, the next youngest person's like 13, you know, or the next uh, person closest to me in age is 13 years old, and here I am trying to learn all of this, all of this stuff that's brand new to me. And, and that was a time in my life when I think of being in a strange environment 
and feeling like I don't belong and I'm trying to learn as an outsider what, what this is like. That was a recent um, occurrence, you know, that was nine years ago now. But this experience of, of being a foreigner, an outsider in this environment where you don't quite fit in, you're not sure exactly, you're trying to learn everything. Some of you can identify with this experience of, I mean, I think even trying a new church, you go to a church for the first time, you feel like an outsider. You're like, I don't know anybody. I don't know what we do. When do we stand? When do we sit? All these kinds of things. Um, is this going to be a friendly church? I hope it's going to be a friendly church. Or maybe if you're an introvert, you hope it's not a friendly church and you don't have to talk to anybody. Um, <laughs> But being an outsider into this, into like a new environment is not a new experience for me. I've definitely experienced this a fair amount in my life. I've mentioned every other sermon probably that I grew up overseas, uh, lived in England. I, my first 14 years of life, I think 11 or 12 of those years were spent in another country. Um, and mostly in, I was born in Germany, then grew up in England. And so that was an environment where I didn't quite fit into the English culture, and then eventually, 14 years old, halfway through my freshman year in high school, we moved back to the United States, and I came into a culture I did not understand as well as the culture I had come from, grew up overseas as an American, and, and then now coming back to the United States, having spent all my formative years in another country, and then trying to learn the culture and learn the environment. And there's a term that people have used for people like me, which is a, a term, third culture kid. You don't quite fit into the culture that you're from. You don't quite fit into the culture that you're, you, you are in. And so coming back to the United States, I grew up in England, but I was an American, but I didn't quite fit in America. And, and so it was this strange environment for a while. And I've become good at adjusting to those kinds of things. Whether that was moving to Spokane 20 years ago, I was, I, when I got here, I started learning a lot about Spokane history. I'm like, I love this community. I want to just dive in and learn more about it. And now certainly this is home 20 years later. But, but this adjustment period and being a stranger in a strange land is something that I can definitely identify with. And this is an important part of our story that we're going to be looking at today. We're in a series. This is week two. We've cr very creatively titled this series, Bible Stories. Yeah, I know. Um, it's, it's really good. Uh, it's stories from the Bible. So we called it Bible stories. And what we're doing is we're looking at some of these Old Testament, these big epic stories from the Old Testament, these characters, these, these stories of the way that God provided for his people. We started out last week looking at creation. And our theme and the way that we're structuring this series is that we're looking at these big Old Testament Bible stories and specifically we're, we're hunting for clues to Christ. When we talk about creation, is there, you know, where, where does Jesus, Jesus show up at the very beginning? Where is the promise of the Messiah even at the very beginning of the creation story? We looked at that last week about the one who had crushed the serpent's head. And this preview of kind of coming attractions that one day the Messiah would come and make things right. And how everything went wrong, it would one day be restored by our Savior. And we, we're looking at today the story of Abram or Abraham. And we're going to be in Genesis chapter 12. You can go ahead and get there, turn your screens on or open your Bibles, which, whatever the case may be. It'll also be on the screen behind me. But we're talking about Moses and the Exodus. We're talking about Joshua and the Battle of Jericho, these kind of big stories from the Old Testament and, and looking for clues to Christ. We said last week, one of my favorite kids' story Bibles that I read to my kids when they were growing up, when they were younger, was this, 
that had this subtitle, Every Story Whispers His Name, and we put that on the, on the logo there as well. One of the reasons we're doing this study, looking at these Old Testament stories, is that we, we, I think it helps us understand a little bit more about our, our story as followers of Christ, as Christians, as people who claim the name of Jesus and follow Jesus as our savior, but also the leader of our lives. It helps us appreciate our Christian story a little bit better when we understand the backstory. When we understand the, what, what, where things came from, we understand even the terminology a little bit better. Um, if you're ever on the outside of an inside joke, you're standing with a circle of people and someone says something and the whole group laughs really hard except you, you think it's kind of funny, but you don't get why it's so funny, you know, and it's, oh, there's an inside joke here. And I hate, by the way, being like seeing someone on the outside of an inside joke and I always explain it, you know looking around, everyone thinks it's fun. Oh, you don't get it. Let me explain why this is hilarious, you know? And I think part of that is my background. Part of this is growing up in other cultures and sort of feeling like an outsider. And so I try to make sure people don't feel like that. It's important to me. But when it comes to our faith, sometimes we can say something like, Jesus is our perfect sacrifice. And if you're a new Christian, you don't have a lot of Bible knowledge or that background information, you might go, yeah, that sounds good. He's my perfect sacrifice. But then when you understand the backstory and you start looking at this idea of sacrifice through the scriptures, and then you begin to realize just how powerful this is, that he's a perfect, blameless, sinless sacrifice. If you understand our history more in the, the Old Testament stories and these, these accounts from, this, from the Old Testament, you begin to understand even better, even some of the language, the vocabulary. You're not left on the outside of the inside joke, so to speak, but you're understanding the backstory of our faith. I think about um, my, you know, we watch these Star Wars shows, the second time Star Wars has been mentioned for the record, if you're keeping track. Um, and, and like my, my son and I will watch these Star Wars shows that are on Disney Plus or whatever, and we understand the background of what's going on. And, and, and sometimes when I'm, I didn't ask my wife permission to share this, but when I'm with my wife, she needs the explanation. She's like, so is that person a Jedi? Why is their lightsaber that color? These kinds of things. And my son and I have to go, oh, hold on, hold on. Let me explain, you know, what's going on here. And this is that person from the Clone Wars or whatever the case may be. This, similarly with our faith, there's a backstory that lends new depth to some of these images. And the New Testament writers are constantly quoting the Old Testament. They're saying, this is like, this is like Abraham. This is like Moses. This is like when the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea. And, and even the characters that show up, this, you don't understand how, how beautiful the story is of Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration talking with Moses and Elijah um, until you understand a little bit more about Moses and Elijah. And you understand the power of that story a little bit better. And so last week we talked about uh, creation and this kind of problem and the preview of the solution, this problem of sin and this preview about Jesus would come and make things right. He would crush the serpent's head. Someday the Messiah would come, a descendant of Adam and Eve who would deal with this problem. One of the other aspects of the series that we're doing is we believe this will help prepare us for Christmas um, we Advent, this Advent season and this sense of anticipation for the arrival of the Messiah. We want to identify with the children of Israel and the Old Testament people in this sense of someday the Messiah will come. And we identify with that as we move towards the Christmas season. So this is our series. Uh, we're in Genesis chapter 12. We're going to be introduced to the story of Abram, who will be renamed Abraham. Um, not in the text that we're looking at today, but we'll be 
referencing both those names, Abram and Abraham. So for fast forwarding from creation, right, the story we talked about last week and this God speaking the world into existence and then the story of the fall. We've got, we're, we're skipping over some big stories, but the story of the flood and the Tower of Babel and things like this. And then we, we are introduced to an individual in Genesis 11, and we're going to start in Genesis 12, but this character, this person that God has big plans for. So Genesis chapter 12, we're going to read verses 1 through 8. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem to the oak of Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land, and then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. So we'll stop there. We'll talk about some things that we see in that passage. We've got a couple other passages we're going to look at today as well. But we see here this story of Abram who is called out of a pagan land. Before in in Genesis 11, we're told that Abram was, that went with his family out of Ur of the Chaldees. So modern day Iraq called into, and his father wanted to resettle in a different place, but they only made it as far as modern-day Turkey, and then they stopped there, and that's that place, Haran, or Haran, however you're supposed to say that. Um, And they settled in this land. His father passed away, and God, sort of out of nowhere, right, calls to Abraham and says, I want you to go somewhere. Go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to the land I will show you. Abram is given marching orders. He's given instructions to depart from where he was and uh, and not a lot of clarity about what the plan is going to be. I'm going to call you and I'm going to show you where you're going to go. So I want you to start moving and then I've got plans for you. And if we think about where Abram came from, this culture, the, the land where he was, was a place known for worship of the moon god. This was a pagan land where they didn't understand who the true god was. And then God, out of nowhere, puts his finger on Abram and says, I have a plan for you, but I want you to follow me. I want you to come with me. And there's all of these incredible promises or these amazing promises that God begins to give him. He says, I want you to leave, and he makes it very clear. He knows what he's calling Abram to do. I want you to leave from your kindred, your father's house, go from your country, everything you know. I want you to leave it, and I want you to go to a land that you don't know. And I'm not even going to tell you exactly where you're going. I was calling you this direction. Come this way. And he goes. And I was thinking about the limits of, you know, how I would feel if God 
just kind of plucked me out of nowhere and said, hey, I want you to go to a strange land. And I want you to go that direction. I'm not going to tell you exactly where you're going, but roughly that way. And you just keep going until I tell you to stop, essentially. And, and, you, and then I've got some promises for you. I don't know how I would respond, honestly, to that. And I don't know how you would respond. I, I feel like we, we sometimes place limits on things that we might expect God to call us to do. But these big things like, I want you to go and do this. I mean, that's fine within reason, God. Come on. I mean, let's be reasonable. But God calls Abram, Abram and he goes. And then God makes all these big promises. I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to give you protection and blessings. And I've got a purpose for you, Abram. I'm going to bless you. And the purpose of that blessing is that in you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And Jesus, by the way, is the fulfillment of that promise. That through Abram's family and through this place even and this kind of new identity, this new location that Abram's taking on, that God is going to bless all the nations of the world through him. And that's the Messiah is born into his family. All the nations of the world are blessed through Abram. Um, this is... This is, a, this is quite a step of faith that Abram takes. And we know that it's, it's an important step of faith because in the hall of faith, Hebrews chapter 11, if we're having a Mount Rushmore, so to speak, of people who practiced great faith, Abram's up there, right? His, Abraham's face is on that Mount Rushmore of faith. And it's in Hebrews chapter 11, um, the writer of Hebrews speaks about this great faith that he showed. Verses 8 through 10 of Hebrews 11 says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going, and by faith he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. And then in verse 13, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the things promised but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they're seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they'd gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Abram is given as this symbol of, of, of faith for us as followers of Christ. We, we look at the story of Abram and we go, this is someone who practiced great faith. He was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he did not receive that inheritance in his lifetime. He was given all of these promises from God that were someday promises. Someday I'm going to make a great nation of you and your family will bless all the nations of the world someday. And these things, he, he saw them he greeted them from afar and he acknowledged that he was a stranger and an exile on the earth. Abram was being called to be a stranger in a strange land and that never changed for him during his lifetime. For the rest of his life, he lived as a stranger, as an exile, as someone who didn't live in permanent dwellings and he traveled, he was in the promised land and all this, and, but, but it was all about what God would do someday. And as followers of Christ, we are strangers and exiles. We are pilgrims. We are travelers in this world. We're never fully at home here. 
Once you, once you become a follower of Christ, you're, you're brought into this new family and you're given this new identity and, and you become a pilgrim. You're traveling through this land. One day you will arrive at your ultimate home. But in this world, you're in this kind of in-between time. One more story from, from Abraham's life, Abram's life in Genesis chapter 15. We'll cover this one briefly, but I think it's an important one. Genesis 15, verses 1 through 18. Let me get there in my Bible. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring. And a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, but your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from the Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there. And they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete." When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offsprings, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And then it goes on to list more land that he is going to receive. There's a couple things I want to point out from this story. There's a lot going on here. We've got this strange ritual that's happening. We've got this um, his, his, he's afraid. Abram's afraid, right? He says, God says, fear not, Abram. I've got big plans for you. And he says, well, how am I to know? I've got, I, what will you give me? I don't have any children and you've made these promises for me and I don't know what to do. I've got someone else in my household that's my heir. And he says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans. I'm going to give you this land. Well, how am I going to know you're going to give it to me? And he says, well, let's do this ceremony. And he tells them to bring these sacrificial animals and they, there's a covenant ceremony that's happening that Abram would have understood right away in his culture that a covenant was being made from one party to another party and, and what would happen is that these pieces of animals, it's kind of a little gross image, I guess, but they would be cut in half. There'd be a path formed between the two different parts of the animals and the, the people would walk through these animals that were sacrificed this way. And they'd say, essentially, like, if I do not uphold my end of the deal, may I be like one of these animals? This was kind of the image here. And, and so the animals, the sacrificial animals are laid aside here. And, 
Abram never actually walks through the animals like what you would have done. It would have been like two kings, a king that conquered another king, and the, the other king would, be, would say, hey, we, we commit to serve you and give you tribute, and we're going to be like one of these animals if I don't hold up my end of the deal. And there's this covenant made, a ceremonial thing that was happening. And Abram doesn't do this the way he would have expected to do it. Instead, he sees these things, a fire pot and a torch passing between these pieces. In other words, God was saying to him, hey, this is a one-sided deal. I, the Lord, your God, am making a promise to you. And it's an unconditional one. I'm going to make of you a great nation. Your, your nation will bless the, the, the world through, through your nation. Your family that comes from you will be a blessing to the world. And then he prophesies, he tells them, he, he's previewing the events of what's going to happen with Moses and the Israelites in, in slavery in Egypt and this whole, whole story. And that they're going to come back to this place. I'm going to give you a glimpse hundreds of years into the future. And he says, I don't know if I can uh, believe, you know, in, in you, God, but, but he says that before this, this covenant ceremony happens, he says, I want you to look at the sky and I always think about when I, when I think about these verses in the Bible, that the sky that they saw is a little different than what we see because of light pollution. And you got to be somewhere really far out in the wilderness to see the same kind of sky that Abraham or David would have looked up at. And this sky full of stars says, I want you to, every time you look up in the sky, I want you to remember the promise I'm making to you. One day, the people that come from your family are going to be as numerous like what you're seeing in the sky right now. And, and it's a reminder. I can, I, I can imagine that every time Abram looked up into the sky, he thought about that promise. God promised me. I can trust him. And it says that the way Abram re responded to what God promised him was that he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. And this is another example of what we see in the, in the Christian life, that this is, this is the same way we are counted as righteous. We believe in the Lord. We put our faith in Jesus, and it is counted to us as righteousness. This is co covenant promises made here, and uh, I want to look at, there's two more passages we're going to look at briefly. I promise I'm not going to talk to you for another hour. Uh, we're going to be wrapping up shortly here. We've looked at a lot of verses, more than we tend to normally do in a in a Sunday sermon, but I want to look at John chapter 8 because we're asking the question over and over again through this series, and we'll continue to do this. Where is Jesus here? What, what, how does this point us towards Jesus? We've seen it several times actually already that he believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness is a big time. That's a Jesus thing. That's how we trust in Jesus, and that's how we get righteousness. It's a gift from God by grace through faith. But Jesus talked about the story of Abraham, and it got him in trouble. He's talking to the Jewish people. He's at the temple. This is early in his ministry. And this is the story that results in him ending up spending a lot more time in Galilee because it was safer there. And he could talk with his disciples and the, the gathering, the crowds that he would gather. But he was in danger because of the way he talked about Abraham. And I want to read this story to you. John chapter 8, 31 to 38. It says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, we are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. And the slave does not remain in the house forever. 
The sun remains forever, so if the sun sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. And we're going to skip some verses, but it's a growing intensity here, this conflict that Jesus is having with the the Jewish leaders that he's speaking to. Uh, Verses 56 to 59, he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Sometimes you'll talk with someone and they'll say, Jesus never claimed to be God. Uh, This is one of the verses I would point them to if you ever end up in a conversation like that. Well, then why were the people about to throw rocks at him to kill him? What were they so mad about in this moment? Jesus makes this claim here. He says, before Abraham was, I am. This is the divine, this is the story of Moses that we'll get to in a couple of weeks. The voice from the burning bush, this I am who I am. Jesus is identifying himself directly. He's saying, I am God, right? And the leaders realize that. They pick up stones conveniently. I don't know. They went to find them or something. They found stones. They're like, I'm, we're going to kill you. And Jesus says, no, nah, not yet. It's not time for that yet, right? That's not the plan. Jesus leaves. There's this story here where, where Jesus is recognizing the significance of the Abraham story. And he says, Abraham, this is so mysterious to me. And I found lots of people arguing about this verse on the internet. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my name or see my day. He saw it and was glad. What is he talking about there? Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. We can, we can grasp that part. Like Abraham looked forward to one day someone would come from his family that would, would you know, bless the world, that would solve this sin problem. We can understand that part. But then he says he saw it and was glad. What does that mean? Like he, Abraham from heaven is witnessing these. We don't know exactly what, the, what, what, what this means. And again, there's lots of opinions about it that you can look up on the internet if you are so inclined. Um, but this is such a powerful image here that Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. That I'm here now and Abraham was longing for this day. He was so excited that this day would come. And he saw it and he was glad How have you, you're not 50 years old, how have you seen Abraham? This is a powerful uh, story here from from Jesus' life and from his ministry here. He saw it and was glad. The Apostle Paul talks about the story of Abraham, and in particular, this idea of faith and the role that it plays in this kind of pilgrim lifestyle, this being a stranger in a strange land. He says in Galatians 3, 7 through 9, Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And then in verse 29, he says, If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. If you are a follower of Christ, you are the person that received the gospel far before you, Abraham, that, that in you all the nations would be blessed. Paul says this is the gospel. It was preached beforehand to Abraham, and he says if you 
If you are a person of faith, then Abraham is your father. You are a child of Abraham. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. You are heirs according to the promise. So in other words, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. And I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord. Right arm. Just kidding. Oh, let's not do that part. Let's do the whole song, everybody. No, you guys are... So many people would leave if I had you do that. Um, the, Abraham is our father in faith, and he's, he's, he's a, the forerunner of what it looks like to trust God as a stranger in exile. He is a type of the believer, so to speak. He's like a, a, an example for us of what this looks like to follow God as a stranger in a strange land and how you do that. How you live your life successfully as a stranger in a strange land. If you were a follower of Christ, you are a pilgrim. You are a, a, you're journeying through this life. This world is not your final destination. You're passing through. Right? There's all these old like gospel-y kind of songs. There was a, one called Beulah Land, Sweet Beulah Land, that I, I remember hearing when I was a kid. And there's a, the song begins like this. I'm kind of homesick for a country where I've never been before. And so many times, I, the longer I follow Jesus, the more I walk with him, the more I can identify with that. It's like, this is not, this isn't home. You know, and, and this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. You know, we're, we're passing through this life with an ultimate destination of heaven where we will be truly at home. And truly like feel the sense of like, this is where I belong. This is what it was all about. Abraham saw that from a far off. He lived his whole life as a, as a pilgrim, but he greeted it from afar. And Hebrews 11 says that God is preparing a city for those kind of people. This is a church, I think, of as a kind of a home away from home. Right? This is our spiritual home on this side of eternity and we spend time together and we sing the truth into our hearts as we worship God. We gather for communion. We, we celebrate and, and remember this amazing gift of Jesus for us. And as we're thinking about this idea of being a sojourner and a stranger in a strange land, we have to think of Jesus in the way that he was the, I guess, ultimate example of this. That he came from heaven to earth and he lived amongst us and he, he came to his own, but his own did not receive him. They rejected him. So this, but he came on a mission. He came as, a, as a, someone to journey through this land, as a pilgrim in a strange land, to, on this mission to, to serve his father, to obey what his father had called him to do, to lay his life down, to give his life as a ransom for many. When we gather each week, we remember this idea of our true home being in heaven. And today we're going to be celebrating communion, and this is a time that we remember Christ's new covenant, right? We talked about this covenant that God made with Abraham, and then later in, in Matthew uh, chapter 26, when we consider what this moment means. In fact, I'll save that verse for when we're receiving communion together. But I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to give you some instructions about what we're doing with communion, and then uh, we'll celebrate together in a few moments. So please pray with me. Lord, we thank you so much for this time together. We thank you for the story of Abram. We thank you that he is our uh, spiritual father, so to speak. We are his children if we are people of faith. We are descendants. We're like father, like son, so to speak. 
that, that we can be people who live in this strange land as people of faith and that we trust you. And Lord, we're, we're given glimpses of home along the way, knowing that we're not home yet. Lord, I pray for anybody who's gathering with us today or watching online uh, now or later, Lord, that has yet to put their faith in you. Maybe they are completely at home in this world, but they sense that something's not right or they're missing something. Lord, and I believe that just like you called Abraham out of this strange, uh, out of this, his homeland, this pagan land, into a new family and a new place and with you as his God, Lord, you want to do that for anybody who has yet to put their faith in you, that you're calling them out of that. You're calling them into to walking with you and journeying through this life with you. And that the same way Abraham received righteousness and things being made right was by believing you and trusting in you. I pray that anybody who has yet to put their faith in you would do that right now. They'd say yes to you. They'd receive the gift of salvation that is already purchased and already given for us to receive. Bring them into your family even now. Lord, welcome them into their new spiritual home. And Lord, for all of us that, that have this kind of sense of kind of longing for, man, we're not home yet. We know that you've got plans for us, that you're a good God, that may we live our lives faithfully as strangers in this strange land. And the way we do that is by trusting you more. We need to believe in you more. We need to, uh, to, to trust your promises. Trust for your provision. Trust for your care for us. Trust that you will meet our deepest needs and that we can cease striving and know that you are God. Lord, we can be at home with you, even on this side of eternity, knowing that our ultimate home is with you someday. And so, Lord, we thank you for this time together where we've been gathering around these truths, these truths that call us to our true home and these truths that help us understand who you really are and, and who, who we are by result. So, Lord, as we gather around the table here in a few moments to celebrate communion, I pray that you would bless this time. I pray that you would um, help us to know the truth that sets us free and then to walk in that freedom that we have. You are so good and we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.